0: gender, body acceptance, abortion, sex, racial justice, feminism, birth, parenthood, stigma, bodily autonomy, and more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Wadzer Center. Independent feminist, nonprofit, comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reproductive Left. I'm your host, Aspen. My pronouns are they, them, and today I'll be chatting with my friend and reproductive health advocacy powerhouse, Kate Vaughn, to bust some myths around substance use, pregnancy, and parenting. Kate, would you please introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Aspen. Um, So I'm Kate Vaughn, and I use she and her pronouns, and I am a full-spectrum Reproductive support worker, um, supporting folks through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and abortion and loss journeys. Um, And I tend to focus my uh, birth work on folks who used or are currently using drugs.
0: Very cool. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to do a land acknowledgement. you know so we aspen and i are living on the land of the wabanaki and abenaki people um and so thinking of those survivors of colonialism and genocide and uh those folks who are who are survivors who are here with us they continue at the work of healing from a lot of the trauma that we're going to talk about today and a lot of the reproductive violence and injustice we're going to speak about And they continue to bear the brunt of a lot of that violence. And so just really holding in our hearts how people who are freedom fighters in this moment need to work towards a future that honors all of our relations, human, animal, earth, water, sky, and that the people of the Donland continue to show us how to do that. And so just um, sending a lot of gratitude to those folks.
0: Thank you for that, Kate. I think it's really important, and with that, um, let's let's get into our questions. So, the first question that I have for you, uh, you know, I want to acknowledge this is a really big topic. You know, substance use, pregnancy, and parenting, and as you've already hinted at in the acknowledgement, there are a lot of things that are are woven into this. So, what would you say? is one of or some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to substance use and pregnancy.
1: There are so many, but I think one of the really foundational things to start with is that what we mean by substance or drug is a contested thing. Just to acknowledge that like, there isn't universal agreement about what is considered substance use in general and particularly during pregnancy um so the definition of what is considered a a harmful or illicit substance has shifted a lot over time and perceptions Mm -hmm. about it have shifted so for example uh it used to be common enough to use uh a form of heroin to soothe infants, you know, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the 20th century. Um, There were people being prescribed what we now consider quote unquote hard drugs, during pregnancy. And so at that that's just to show that it has shifted, right? Mm-hmm. And um to acknowledge that arguably anything is a substance. Um caffeine, sugar, but also SSRIs, all sorts of things that pregnant people might ingest during pregnancy and some of those are vilified more than others, some are mm-hmm. criminalized. Um and people are punished for using them and um and forced into the family regulation system, but we really have to acknowledge that there is an agreement, and that it shifts, and it depends a lot on the social moment that we're in. So that's like one thing that feels really important.
0: <laughs> to start. I agree. I think, and even if we think just substance use as a general concept, even separate from pregnancy, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me is alcohol. Like people don't think about alcohol when they're talking about drug use or substance use when it is um except during
1: pregnancy right during pregnancy there is a focus on alcohol as a substance that's not okay but right in other in other uh periods of people's lives it's not considered a quote-unquote drug in our social norms um and so yeah why does pregnancy become a site for increased sort of surveillance and regulation of people like and you know, we'll talk more about that, but yeah. So that's just like a baseline understanding that feels really important uh, to under, you know, to share with people. And I think one of the other really dangerous myths is that using substances during pregnancy and you know that there are people who are told not to take certain medications when they're pregnant that are prescribed mm-hmm. to them but what i'm talking about mostly here is use of alcohol and quote unquote you know illicit drugs so and marijuana right whether that's legal or not those mm-hmm. that that sort of group of drugs the misconception is that any use of those substances during pregnancy causes significant and permanent damage to pregnancies mm-hmm. and to children Mhm. And it's really just important to know that the evidence about various drugs is really different. There's a there's a lot of varying about there's a lot of variation in terms of what's been studied, how well right. it's been studied, um, and how those studies have been reviewed or not. And the evidence is pretty inconclusive. Um, so while I'm not going to say you know, using, uh, you know, using dope during a pregnancy is necessarily a a net positive. Um, what I am saying is that when people are pregnant, they don't exist in a vacuum. They (laughs) exist in the same conditions that they existed in prior to pregnancy or sometimes more intense. And so Mm -hmm. there is no way to parse out if a child has, uh, disability or uh, some kind of outcome when they're born, uh, there's no way to really parse out, was that drugs that the person was ingesting when they were pregnant that caused this outcome? Or was it the domestic violence situation they are involved in? Ongoing poverty, malnutrition, lack of access to prenatal care, stress, um, from, you know, toxic stress from racism, poverty, et cetera. So we don't have a way to separate out and say, you know, this causes this outcome, right? And so that's just really important to say, like, people will just say it's bad to do drugs when pregnant. Um, We really have to look at things holistically and we don't tend to look at pregnant people holistically.
0: That is, I mean, that, that phrase, we don't tend to look at pregnant people holistically is such a gut punch and so true. And I think that, and I, and this is also me speaking from my own personal experience. You know, the first time that I heard this, this idea, this fact, this knowledge that You know, what we think we know about substance use and pregnancy and the impact that has isn't actually as well researched as we think it is, isn't actually as factual as it's been presented to be. You know, that was a thing that was really hard for me to hear because it had always been presented as obvious, as factual, as common sense. And so my instinct was to kind of like, oh, well, this part, like that obviously this causes these problems. And then it took really taking a step back and questioning why I had such a reaction to that and really realizing like, yeah, there has not actually been the the research into this that's been presented. And like you said, you know, hasn't really been parsed out those other, you know, social determinants of health, the domestic violence piece, the poverty piece, the stress piece, the lack of prenatal care piece. Um, And like you said, you know, it's not to say that it's necessarily a net positive, but it can't be looked at in a vacuum. And one thing I actually learned, um, gosh, I can't remember if I learned it when I was working at the syringe exchange, or if I had learned it from you, Who knows? Maybe both. Um, But that, you know, for especially certain types of drugs, if someone, you know, is using that type of drug regularly and then they get pregnant, trying to just cold turkey stop can actually have more definitive negative impacts on the health of the pregnancy than if they were to continue their use of the substance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a piece that really blew my mind. Um, You know, and it goes against what we've been told is common sense. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's trying
1: to look at people in a very narrow way. And, you know, poverty is widespread in this country Mm -hmm. and in Maine. That's a preventable, solvable problem. telling me that you, you know, care about the health of fetuses and, and infants, um, while we don't have a national healthcare program where everyone can get Mm -hmm. equitable access to what they need, that just, that's a lie. Um, so, you know, thinking about what are systemic issues that we can actually, we have solutions proposed for them, uh, you know, and, um, the powers that be are not taking us up on those solutions. Uh, Instead of addressing those systemic issues, so often people just want to focus on individual behaviors, and we really can't address the health and well-being of pregnant people and and newborns until we are addressing systemic issues. It's not going to work saying, well, because this person used this drug, that's why they had all these outcomes. That's why their pregnancy went the way it did. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's really important to me that we, we just understand that drug use of any kind is one factor in someone's life. And there are many other factors and that people who use can and do all the time have, um, pretty normal pregnancies and, and labors and birth experiences. So, um, you know, a lot of folks who spread this misinformation, it's just because it's as easy as breathing. It's just in our our atmosphere socially, but it's not necessarily true. Um, Mm -hmm. So that feels really important. And I think another thing that's really important to me is this idea of people who use drugs are not fit to be pregnant or parent. Mm -hmm. Um, That feels like something again, where uh, people might assume we have like universal agreement about that. um, But we I disagree with that. Um, and this whole notion of who's quote unquote fit to parent is steeped in colonial thinking, Mm -hmm. um, uh, colonizer thinking like racism, classism, ableism. And so, um, You know, use of drugs when pregnant, when parenting, does not necessarily mean that neglect or abuse is happening. And unfortunately, that's all been conflated by our family regulation system, um, also known as the child welfare system. Like, that's all been conflated. But there are plenty of folks who are parenting and, and very nurturing, loving parents who also use drugs. It doesn't mean they don't struggle, but all parents struggle, Um, and particularly right now. So I think that's a really important thing to point out that deciding that any, an entire group of people are not fit to reproduce is eugenics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a concept of eugenics. We have to confront and like do away with that thinking.
0: For sure. And I think especially where it's, you know, again, people, really frame substance use on that individual level. But really, it is a systemic thing. And I think where there's obviously like the poverty piece of that, which very much ties in with the trauma piece of that, um, you know, and that, again, you know, if we want to address these things, we have to address them systemically. But that, yeah, people who have been through trauma are not inherently like, bad at being parents and that we don't just get to say you're not fit to parent. And I can say from, you know, as a person who exists in this world, as a person who was a child and who had friends and who was parented, I can say, like, that I have very much witnessed that there are amazing parents who use substances and who are just so caring and loving. And there are parents who probably should not have had kids who have always been sober and have like never used substances in any sort of quote unquote problematic way. And they, it did not make them kind and nurturing parents. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So this
1: is all I mean, this is all fake. Um, this idea that we know one, this idea that like all substance use is chaotic and a part of addiction. That's not true. Most people who use substances and most of us do, um, we use it in a way that doesn't negatively impact our lives. Um, and so there's that piece, but also, what you were just saying, and now I'm like losing my train of thought. Oh, no. But, what you were just saying about there are parents who are not using what we consider drugs in this culture mm-hmm. and yet are not loving and nurturing parents. So, why, like, what are we trying to regulate here? I guess that's the thing that I'm trying yeah. to get people to trouble and question is we know that the overwhelming majority of people who end up criminalized for their use. Reported to the family regulation system, who experience forced treatment, et cetera, et cetera. Those folks are overwhelmingly poor people and Black, Brown, Indigenous people mm-hmm. everywhere in this country, including in Maine. So, what are what about all of the moneyed people who use their drugs but have the luxury of privacy and yes. protection that? That class privilege, that white privilege affords, that being, Mm -hmm. um, you know, normatively abled affords. And so, like, when you look at our system, and you see who's caught up in it, and you see the racial disparities, the class disparities, the difference between rural and urban areas in Maine, for example, when you see all of that, how can you be okay with that system? How can you say it's doing its job unless you admit that its job is to control certain populations of people? Mm -hmm. And so um, people who use drugs are fit to parent because parents have always used drugs. Mm -hmm. And we are focused on in this country, controlling certain people. And that is because this country was started with a total disregard for and like exploitation of family bonds between African and black Americans and, and indigenous folks. Like we completely Mm -hmm. decimated familial bonds and we decided long ago in the founding of this country, not you and I, but you know, we, as the, the American people who started this country decided like those folks, families don't matter as much. They're not Mm -hmm. fit To make these decisions about reproduction and and family making will make them for them. And so that's why we see these disparities and we have to really reckon with that. So it's it's not a bold stance to take to say, oh, I mean, using using drugs around children. I mean, I I don't support that or that, you know, "I, I don't support child endangerment. It's like that's not a bold stance you know, that duh, like, um, okay, but you know what, like, why, why are we okay with hunger, widespread hunger? Why are we okay with people not getting healthcare? Why are we okay with people living in homes that are falling down around them or covered in lead? You know, like, why are we so selectively obsessed with what Mm -hmm. pregnant people and parenting people ingest?
0: also you saying the thing about people being like, oh, you know, this quote unquote bold, but not really bold stance about like, oh, like, you know, not using substances in front of children. I'm sorry. I think as children, most of us have been to some family gathering where there was drinking. Um, that is substance use. That is substance use. Um, and, you know. Which, I mean, isn't to say that there aren't times where that can be a little bit problematic, but, but it's normalized. So, but it's normalized, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I guess like all of these things that are misconceptions relate back to like this final point for me that like what society decides to regulate about pregnant people And um, Mm -hmm. pregnant people's bodies, behaviors, that matters to all of us in our freedom. And so what the criminalization, the surveillance, the punishment of people who are pregnant, who use drugs, like that is absolutely intrinsically connected to the fight we're having around abortion rights right now. Oh, for sure. Right. It is. Why are we okay with this type of reproductive reproductive control we cannot be okay with reproductive control of other people Mm -hmm. any any person and so it's very clear that while a lot of people um support abortion access and rights they are maybe not they might need to be pushed to understand that we are still a place where Pregnant people can be controlled and vilified and have their children taken from them based on what they ingest while pregnant. That threatens Mm -hmm. all of our autonomy. And Mm -hmm. also, we are still a country where the majority of states allow for sterilization of people with disabilities. And that Mm -hmm. that disproportionately impacts, of course, uh, Black and brown folks. So- we can't be okay with that and and then be over here going rah, rah, rah about the loss of Roe. We have to see this as like we refuse to be controlled because we have the capacity for pregnancy. That capacity should not be a liability for anyone,
0: period. Right. I, yeah. And it's, it's just so wild to think like how much that reproductive control comes in. And like you said, how it, gets disproportionately targeted towards black, indigenous, and other people of color. And it reminds me, of course, I don't remember the exact state and I don't remember a lot of the specific details, but I do remember a few months ago reading about a case of this woman who was pregnant, um still like fairly early ish on, um, and you know, happened to be someone who used drugs and had a miscarriage, you know, like a lot of people have. That is a a very, obviously it can be difficult, but it's a very normal I mean, it's a common experience about one in five. It's about pregnancies. Exactly. And this person who, by the way, living somewhere that abortion is illegal, she wasn't even past like her state's arbitrary, like, oh, you can't have an abortion past the state. She was before that. And she was charged with murder, Mm-hmm. having a miscarriage because they were like, oh well, it's because it's because you used drugs, which is like, first off, there was no proof of that. And second, no, <laughs> just no. Right. It's and not that, any of that is.
1: Most of those cases where people are actually charged are I, I think the case you might be referring to is an indigenous yes. woman in Oklahoma. And yeah, so that's the one thank you. I yeah, so I mean most of the cases you're going to see where that kind of extreme is happening. Is against black and brown folks and indigenous people. Exactly. So again, asking ourselves, like, what's the goal here? Like, what's the end game? And um, and it's just until all of us who support you know, um, accessible, safe abortion on demand on our terms, until all of us who are on that boat get on this other boat, we are screwed, we are losing ground in part because of who mainstream movements are willing to leave behind and um, and that's why we can't we can't make exceptions like there are no you know bad abortions there's no bad reason to have an abortion right like all reasons are valid well all pregnant people are still 100 people with human rights the entire Mm -hmm. time they're pregnant the entire time they're laboring and while they are parenting why do we make this again like a capacity an amazing capacity to build humans from scratch pretty freaking cool why do we make that a liability for people Mm -hmm. a political social economic liability and only for certain people again because we're only watching certain people we're not Mm -hmm. watching the quote-unquote you know i you had mentioned wine moms you know we're not watching the upper class folks who can get prescriptions and uh, very easily and, and use alcohol however they want. Um, we're not we're not watching those people. We're watching folks who are on Medicaid. We're watching people who are unhoused. We're watching people who are incarcerated and on parole and probation like that's who we're watching. And that's mm-hmm. why we're noticing the behaviors in that population. It We know drug use is pretty much the same across class, race, et cetera. It is just who pays for it.
0: Exactly. And that, not to get too in the weeds about this, but that just reminds me of the difference in mandatory minimum sentencing, depending on what type of cocaine you have. Do you have the fancy, white, rich businessman cocaine? Lesser sentence. Do you have what's more accessible for people who are in poverty, people who are black or other people of color. And like, that's what just based on where you can access it, what you're going to get, that's got a higher mandatory minimum sentencing. And that is a really good example of how, because it's the same drug, um, you know, how racism and white supremacy are really built into these laws. Um, you mentioning the why mom thing once. uh, can I get into my next question for you? Cool. So, um, obviously we've, we've hinted at this. All substance use is not viewed equally in our culture. Um, I mean, even if it's the same substance, depending on who is using it, that shapes it. How would you say that attitudes around these different substances impact our view when it comes to substance use and pregnancy and substance use and parenting? Um, Like you hinted at, one of the things that comes to mind for me, uh, specifically with parenting, is the prevalence of wine mom culture, which of course really adds the intersection of classism. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, so to kind of bring it down to like the level of the relationships that I hold in my, in my everyday life, you know, I, I focus my birth work practice on folks who are low income Mm -hmm. and primarily folks who have extensive trauma histories, um, histories of incarceration and histories of substance use that are mostly directly tied to, like their incarceration is directly tied to their substance use. So um, that's not exclusively who I work with, but is you know, what you'll see the way classism shows up is like, who has a record that is shared Mm -hmm. with medical providers of their past behaviors and who doesn't Um, how much more likely is a, you know, birthing person who discloses a history of use to be um, talk screened without a discussion by their doctor at prenatal appointments? Mm -hmm. um, how, How much more likely is it that someone on Medicaid is going to be asked questions and pressed about any sort of substance use versus someone who's in that white middle class or upper class, you know, sort of going into their you know, private OBGYN and, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's about where when seeking medical care, people who use drugs are always at risk when seeking medical care. And even Mm -hmm. if they're not currently using, if there is any documented history in their medical record, it is going to be weaponized against them. And so like, that's absolutely about class and the way that class is also racialized in this country, the way Mm -hmm. that like you were just talking about the way certain drugs are racialized in this country, like crack is racialized, right. To be like, Oh, well, black folks do crack. Right. And it's like, well, lots of people use crack. Um, But you know what I mean? Like everything is so racialized class is so racialized and our response socially, our institutional responses to those concepts is surveillance. Mm. So what, what I see in the people I support is an enormous amount of surveillance that is that is sold to them or presented to them as this is to help you and your baby Mm -hmm. when what they know is that it actually means I'm going to be watched really closely it means there's going to be a mandated report to DHHS. And it means someone's going to be coming to evaluate whether they think I'm a fit parent or not, and maybe take my kid. So middle-class people very rarely have to worry about that because there is just such a veil of privacy around people with class privilege. Mm. We, We do things in private. We know how to interact with doctors differently, medical providers differently than people who grew up never going to the doctor right not and having only traumatizing interactions with the medical system so i just i think like there's there's so much of it uh it's all about class and race all of the time regardless of like who is being targeted and what the identities they hold these forms of surveillance and control were created to control black and indigenous people first. And it has just exponentially spread out who it impacts. Um, Hmm. And poverty is a big piece of that. Yeah,
0: it's, it is definitely, I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is not even just the surveillance piece, which is obviously really important, the surveillance and the criminalization, but that if someone has disclosed any sort of drug use, just, the like subpar quality of care that there is a good chance that they're going to receive from a provider. And so, um, I actually have dealt with that a little bit myself, um, a little over six years ago. Now I, um, you know, diagnosed with had thyroid cancer, had my thyroid taken out, um, leading up to that primary care appointment where we figured out something was wrong. And I shared that I, um, was in the process of getting my medical card for um, medical marijuana um, and that I used it to help with some health stuff. Um, The uh, medical assistant who I told this to put in my chart that I used illicit substances. um, uh, It was not legal recreationally in Maine quite yet, but it was about to be. Um, I think this was like a few weeks before the ballot vote thing um so then when i had to go see um a you know fancy provider to get a fine needle aspiration she mentioned that it said in my chart that i had a history of illicit substance use i clarified what it was and then i was denied lidocaine for a fine needle aspiration in my neck um I am still very convinced that those two things are connected, especially from talking with people who um, you know, have in their medical records like history of illicit substance use. And, you know, as not fun as that was for me, uh when you think of adding other levels of oppression, because I'm still white. So that protected me from a lot of stuff. And I'm not a parent, so I didn't have to worry about you know, having my children taken away. And so the way that layers of oppression compound in this is just astounding. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as much
1: as there's the wine mom kind of culture, there's increasingly the weed mom culture, right? Mm-hmm. And that's for white people with money. Yes. Yes. Um, Whereas, like, I have worked with a client who was experiencing extreme amounts of pain immediately postpartum while still in the Mm -hmm. hospital, pain that no one could really figure out what was happening. And it ended up being that there was some air trapped in um, internally that was causing a lot of pain, but you know the my client really just wanted to be able to go and smoke a joint a little bit in the parking garage mm-hmm. for like 5 minutes to get some kind of relief and the the judgment from the medical staff at the the hospital was extreme about that meanwhile they were pumping this person full of ketamine mm-hmm. muscle relaxants subutex codeine, all sorts of pharmaceutical drugs that were causing delusions, drowsiness, um, inability to like organize thoughts. And because of breastfeeding, making for a very sleepy baby um, who wasn't eating as much as she could because she was sleepy. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, wow, you are freaking out about some weed that this person knows is a proven pain like cure for them but you are totally okay with these like very intense pharmaceutical drugs just drowning her system and none of those were bringing any kind of relief Mm -hmm. And and just like again the war on drugs has made for a very sort of Contradictory, illogical system of responding to physical pain, emotional and mental pain, mm-hmm. um, and control of pregnant people in a way that ultimately feeds the it feeds mass criminalization and incarceration, but it also feeds the anti-abortion movement's agenda. Mm-hmm. And so, I just think for folks who are you know, I'm assuming folks who listen to this are uh, supportive of abortion rights and access. I sure hope so. And and that's primarily why they listen. And so I guess like one of the things that feels most important is like to know that we cannot silo these things off that like, we know the anti-abortion movement is extremely white supremacist. We know that its, it's end goal is bigger than just making it very difficult for people to have abortions it, its end goal is bigger than that it is reproductive con- control on a population level and exactly. what we do to pregnant people who are who are poor who use drugs who are black and brown who are disabled what we do to those folks what the systems do to those folks is sh- it's it's the it's that movement showing us their cards, they're showing us the kind of future they want. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to be, we have to see this as a really pressing reproductive justice issue everywhere. And it includes in Maine, even in such a white state as Maine, when we look at who is in our state care system, which children are there, which children are taken from their parents because their parents are deemed not safe to raise them. I'm looking at a graph right now that shows us that multiracial children and Native American children have the highest representation in our in Maine's foster care system. And mm-hmm. then it is Latinx and Black folks, right? And so look like those folks who are make up such a small percentage of our statewide population are more than double represented compared to white children in the foster care system, right? And you can bet that almost 100% of those children come from poor families.